Chapter 7 of The Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter 7 The Wallering Peculiarities of Buffalo Bulls the first buffalo hunt and its consequences, Crusoe comes to the rescue, Pawnees discovered, a monster buffalo hunt, Joe acts the part of an ambassador. Fortunately, the day that succeeded the dreary night described in the last chapter was warm and magnificent. The sun rose in a blaze of splendor and filled the atmosphere with steam from the moist earth. The unfortunates in the wet camp were not slow to avail themselves of his cheering rays. They hung up everything on the bushes to dry, and, by dint of extreme patience in cutting out the comparatively dry hearts of several pieces of wood, they lighted a fire and boiled some rainwater, which was soon converted into soup. This, and the exercise necessary for the performance of these several duties, warmed and partially dried them, so that when they once more were mounted their steeds and rode away, they were in a state of comparative comfort and in excellent spirits. The only annoyance was the clouds of mosquitoes and large flies that assailed the men and horses whenever they checked their speed. "'I tell ye what it is,' said Joe Blunt one fine morning about a week after they had begun to cross the prairie. It's my opinion that we'll come on buffalo soon. Them tracks are fresh, and yonder's one of their wallas that's been used not long agone. I'll go have a look at it, cried Dick, trotting away as he spoke. Everything in these vast prairies was new to Dick Varley, and he was kept in a constant state of excitement during the first week or two of his journey. It is true he was quite familiar with the names and habits of all the animals that dwelt there. For many a time and oft he had listened to the yarns of the hunters and trappers of the Mustang Valley when they returned laden with rich furs from their periodical hunting expeditions. But this knowledge of his only served to whet his curiosity and his desire to see the denizens of the prairies with his own eyes. And now that wish was accomplished. It greatly increased the pleasures of his journey. Dick had just reached the wallow referred to by Joe Blunt, and had reined up his steed to observe it leisurely, when a faint hissing sound reached his ear. Looking quickly back, he observed his two companions crouching on the necks of their horses, and slowly descending into a hollow of the prairie in front of them, as if they wished to bring the rising ground between them and some object in advance. Dick instantly followed their example, and was soon at their heels. "'You needn't look at the waller,' whispered Joe, "'for at the other side of the ridge there's a bull wallerin'. "'Ye don't mean it?' exclaimed Dick, as they all dismounted and picketed their horses to the plain. "'Whee!' said Henry, tumbling off his horse, while a broad grin overspread his good-natured countenance. "'It is one fact. One buffalo bull be wallering like an enormous hog. Also, there'd be thousands of buffaloes farther on.' "'Can you trust your dog keeping back?' inquired Joe, with a dubious glance at Crusoe. "'Trust him? Aye, I wish I was as sure myself.' "'Look at your primin' then, and we'll have tongues and marrow bones for supper tonight, I's want. Hist! 
down on your knees and go softly. We might have run them down on horseback, but it's bad to wind your beasts on a trip like this, if you can help it. And it's about as easy to stalk them. Leastways, we'll try. Lift your head slowly, Dick, and don't show more nor the half ought above the ridge. Dick elevated his head as directed, and the scene that met his view was indeed well calculated to send an electric shock to the heart of an ardent sportsman. The vast plain beyond was absolutely blackened with countless herds of buffaloes, which were browsing on the rich grass. They were still so far distant that their bellowing and the trampling of their myriad hooves only reached the hunters like a faint murmur on the breeze. In the immediate foreground, however, there was a group of about half a dozen buffalo cows feeding quietly, and in the midst of them, an enormous old bull was enjoying himself in his wallow. The animals towards which our hunters now crept with murderous intent are the fiercest and most ponderous of the ruminating inhabitants of the western wilderness. The name of the buffalo, however, is not correct. The animal is the bison and bears no resemblance whatsoever to the buffalo proper. But as the hunters of the far west, and indeed travelers generally, have adopted the misnomer, we bow to the authority of custom and adopt it too. Buffaloes roam in countless thousands all over the northern American prairies, from the Hudson's Bay territories north of Canada to the shores of the Gulf of Mexico. The advance of white men to the west has driven them to the prairies between the Missouri and the Rocky Mountains, and has somewhat diminished their numbers. But even thus diminished, they are still innumerable in the more distant plains. Their color is dark brown, but it varies a good deal with the seasons. The hair or fur, from its great length in winter and spring and exposure to the weather, turns quite light. But when the winter coat is shed off, the new growth is a beautiful dark brown, almost approaching to jet black. In form, the buffalo somewhat resembles the ox, but its head and shoulders are much larger and are covered with a profusion of long shaggy hair, which adds greatly to the fierce aspect of the animal. It has a large hump on the shoulder, and its forequarters are much larger in proportion than the hindquarters. The horns are thick and short, the hooves are cloven, and the tail is short, with a tuft of hair at the extremity. It is scarcely possible to conceive a wilder or more ferocious and terrible monster than a buffalo bull. He often grows to the enormous weight of 2,000 pounds. His lion-like mane falls in shaggy confusion quite over his head and shoulders down to the ground. When he is wounded, he becomes imbued with the spirit of a tiger. He stamps, bellows, roars, and foams forth his rage with glaring eyes and steaming nostrils, and charges furiously at man and horse with utter recklessness. Fortunately, however, he is not naturally pugnacious and can be easily thrown into a sudden panic. Moreover, the peculiar position of his eye renders this creature not so terrible as he would otherwise be to the hunter. Owing to the stiff structure of the neck and the sunken, downward-looking eyeball, the buffalo cannot, without an effort, see beyond the direct line of vision presented to the habitual carriage of his head. When, therefore, he is wounded and charges, he does so in a straight line, so that his pursuer can leap easily out of his way. The pace of the buffalo is clumsy and apparently slow. 
Yet, when chased, he dashes away over the plains in blind, blundering terror at a rate that leaves all but good horses far behind. He cannot keep the pace up, however, and is usually soon overtaken. Were the buffalo capable of the same alert and agile motions of head and eye peculiar to the deer or wild horse, in addition to his bovine rage, he would be the most formidable brute on earth. There is no object, perhaps, so terrible as the headlong advance of a herd of these animals when thoroughly aroused by terror. They care not for their necks. All danger in front is forgotten, or not seen, in the terror of that from which they fly. No thundering cataract is more tremendously irresistible than the black bellowing torrent which sometimes pours through the narrow defiles of the Rocky Mountains, or sweeps like a roaring flood over the trembling plains. The wallowing, to which we have referred, is a luxury usually indulged in during the hot months of summer, when the buffaloes are tormented by flies and heat and drought. At this season, they seek the low grounds in the prairies, where there is a little stagnant water lying amongst the grass, and the ground underneath, being saturated, is soft. The leader of the herd, a shaggy old bull, usually takes upon himself to prepare the wallow. It was a rugged monster of the largest size that did so on the present occasion, to the intense delight of Dick Varley, who begged Joe to lie still and watch the operation before trying to shoot one of the buffalo cows. Joe consented with a nod, and the four spectators, for Crusoe was as much taken up with the proceedings as any of them, crouched in the grass and looked on. Coming up to the swampy spot, the old bull gave a grunt of satisfaction, and, going down on one knee, plunged his short, thick horns into the mud, tore it up, and cast it aside. Having repeated this several times, he plunged his head in, and brought it forth saturated with dirty water, and bedaubed with lumps of mud, through which his fierce eyes gazed, with a ludicrous expression of astonishment, straight in the direction of the hunters, as if he meant to say, I've done it that time, and no mistake. The other buffaloes seemed to think so, too, for they came up and looked on with an expression that seemed to say, Well done, old fellow, try that again. The old fellow did try it again, and again, and again, plunging and ramming and tearing up the earth, until he formed an excavation large enough to contain his huge body. In this bath, he laid himself comfortably down and began to roll and wallow about until he mixed up a trough full of thin soft mud which completely covered him. When he came out of the hole, there was scarcely an atom of his former self visible. The coat of mud thus put on by bulls is usually permitted by them to dry and is not finally got rid of until long after when oft-repeated rollings on the grass and washings by rain at length clear it away. When the old bull vacated this delectable bath, another bull, scarcely, if at all, less ferocious-looking, stepped forward to take his turn, but he was interrupted by a volley from the hunters, which scattered the animals right and left, and sent the mighty herds in the distance flying over the prairie in wild terror. The very turmoil of their own mad flight added to their panic, and the continuous thunder of their hoofs was heard until the last of them disappeared on the horizon. The family party, which had been fired at, however, did not escape so well. Joe's rifle wounded a fat young cow, and Dick Varley brought it down. 
Henry had done his best, but as the animals were too far distant for his limited vision, he missed the cow he fired at and hit the young bull whose bath had been interrupted. The others scattered and fled. "'Well done, Dick!' exclaimed Joe as they all ran up to the cow that had fallen. "'Your first shot at the buffalo was a good un. Come now, and I'll show you how to cut it up and carry off the tidbits.' "'Oh, my dear bull!' exclaimed Henry, gazing after the animal which he had wounded and which was now limping slowly away. "'You is not worth going after. Van well, adieu!' "'He'll be tough enough, I warrant,' said Joe. "'And we've more meat here nor we can lift.' "'But wouldn't it be just as well to put the poor old brute out of pain?' suggested Dick. "'Oh, he'll die soon enough.' replied joe tucking up his sleeves and drawing his long hunting knife dick however was not satisfied with this way of looking at it saying that he would be back in just a few minutes he reloaded his rifle and calling crusoe to his side walked quickly after the wounded bull which was now hid from view in a hollow of the plain in a few minutes he came inside of it and ran forward with his rifle in readiness down crusoe he whispered wait for me here Crusoe crouched in the grass instantly, and Dick advanced. As he came on, the bull observed him, and turned round bellowing with rage and pain to receive him. The aspect of the brute on a near view was so terrible that Dick involuntarily stopped too, and gazed with a mingled feeling of wonder and awe, while it bristled with passion, and blood-streaked foam dropped from its open jaws, and its eyes glared furiously. Seeing that Dick did not advance, the bull charged him with a terrific roar, but the youth had firm nerves, and although the rush of such a savage creature at full speed was calculated to try the courage of any man, especially one who had never seen a buffalo bull before, Dick did not lose presence of mind. He remembered the many stories he had listened to of this very thing that was now happening. So, crushing down his excitement as well as he could, he cocked his rifle and awaited the charge. He knew that it was of no use to fire at the head of the advancing foe, as the thickness of the skull, together with the matted hair on the forehead, rendered it impervious to a bullet. When the bull was within a yard of him, he leaped lightly to one side and it passed. Just as it did so, Dick aimed at his heart and fired. But his knowledge of the creature's anatomy was not yet correct. The ball entered the shoulder too high and the bull, checking himself as well as he could in his headlong rush, turned round and made at Dick again. The failure coupled with the excitement proved too much for Dick. He could not resist discharging his second barrel at the brute's head as it came on. He might as well have fired at a brick wall. It shook its shaggy front, and with a hideous bellow thundered forward. Again, Dick sprang to one side, but in doing so, a tuft of grass or a stone caught his foot, and he fell heavily to the ground. 